Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last... Best Welcome to the number America. one stunner. Number ruthless, one political podcast in the country. The Ruthless Variety Program. Yeah, so we hit number one. I think it was on Thursday or Friday of last last week, guys. Yeah. Which is just, you love to see it. Yeah, shout out Pod Save America. You guys tried copying us. <laughs> You're trash. And <laughs> sh- shout out to, to Lil Wayne, Juvenile, and Birdman. On that wonderful introduction. Very appropriate. Do you think like someday we're going to go back like, you know, and our kids are like, hey, dad, what did you used to listen to? And we'll be like, oh, just the classics, Birdman. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's probably right. I mean, they introduced this, this fellow named Juvenile. <laughs> and I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I knew we were going to do it. It was just a matter of time would be the top podcast in America. But, you know. First off, thank you so much to the listeners, everyone who's been spreading the word. Thank you so much for Megan Kelly for having us on our show. Uh, that helped get the momentum going. But listen, listen, the, the the listener part is really big, right? Because if you look at the rest of the chart and everybody that we're up against and are up against on a daily basis, those people have like five day a week podcasts. Yep. For one, two, most of them are venture backed, and right. they have like huge corporate investments that put you know, millions of dollars into production and, and they have huge numbers of employees and stuff. This is just a little program that could kind yeah. of bootstrap in this thing. Yeah. Like pod save. I can't remember the number. I mean, we're talking tens of millions of dollars in venture banking and we've got uh, a bottle of tequila, a bottle of bourbon and three mics. <laughs> <laughs> Those dudes have like HBO contracts, yeah. right? We've got, we literally have, uh, we've got the people. Yes. That's, that's what we got. So if you're listening right now and you, and you, you haven't, texted everybody in your phone book who might enjoy the program now's the time you know find one person two people five people maybe family spread the word it's working it's working we're getting hot and we got a great one here today we've got winsome sears who was just elected lieutenant governor of virginia and jason miares the first latino elected hispanic attorney general of virginia big wins they shattered the democratic uh sort of narrative of what was happening in Virginia, just yeah, I thought Virginia was a bunch of racists because oh, yeah. of the they didn't like CRT. Yeah, but they're not stopping. They accused her of being like a white supremacist. That's like, right. Okay, so <laughs> which is pretty tough. Incredible. Wait till you hear the interview. They are very well aware of what people are saying about them. They just blow right through it. You guys are gonna love it. And again, to thank our fans, I think we should go through some of these five star reviews. Let's do it. Let's do it. This so, first one is 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 about you. I love it. I, the uh, smug future airline CEO from ex Publix fan it says I've been a loyal loyal listener since episode 1 I've turned many of my friends and family onto the program hearing you guys laugh in astonishment at some of the takes you see on Twitter is so refreshing on a more direct note smug is 100% correct concerning airlines that people with children would fly <laughs> unbelievable He's right I'm willing to start an adults only who dress well and aren't complete slobs airline with smug as my partner. I'm on board. Let's return to the glory days of air travel. Keep up the good work, fellas. Oh, and hound Ronnie D to get on the program. Well, you did just that. Yeah. And hey, I mean, 
things are sounding good. We'll see. We'll your, see. Come on the show, Ronnie D. Your request has been answered by Smug, who who put it out there. But you know, the airline take. Let's just uh, let's cool on. Hundred percent. Hundred percent correct take. It's a very it's a very radio free Tom take. Yeah. Uh, you got this next one here, Ducks. Yeah, sure. Uh, this is from MI. I assume that's Michigan Penn's fan. Uh, the headline is every episode is a guaranteed banger. Proud listener of the number one podcast since it debuted in October 2020. Each episode contains thoughtful insights from Holmes, Duncan, and Smug, but they managed to keep it light and entertaining. Keep the nuclear king of the hill takes coming. Uh, so good. I'd love to hear it. So this one made my weekend, you know, because we all have heroes in this line of work. And obviously one of ours is to be named in this review by John Tyler C. It's entitled The Future of Talk Radio is Now. As someone who is a talk radio host for 11 years, people ask me occasionally, who's the next Rush Limbaugh? I always say the next Rush isn't one person, nor are they on the radio. It's the Ruthless Variety program. Wow. Wow. You guys embody everything Rush was about. Y'all are funny, informative, and most importantly, you make everybody who listens feel like an insider who's in on the joke. Rush would be proud. Godspeed, gentlemen. Congrats on the number one ranking, even though hen segments are the best Dudes rock. <laughs> Outstanding. That's such a great review. That's great. You love to see it. Uh, it just made my weekend. Um, so look, we had a really big week last week for the Republican Party. It was the first monumental win. We've had a lot of little wins around the country, but this was the first monumental win since 2020. We're talking obviously about the, the Virginia governor's race and almost a, a total shocker in New Jersey. Clearly, there's a ton of momentum on the Republican side. Yeah, we've been telling everyone Red Wave is on the way, and it feels like the Yunkin win really crystallized that for everybody that, oh, man, things are not looking good for the Dems. Totally. But a big part, as we've talked about all along, a big part is the strategy and how you go from A to B. It's about not taking the bait in those early days when everybody wants you to just talk about January 6th and all the nonsense that Democrats view the prism of what it means to be a conservative through. But now it's also about a strategy on Capitol Hill and otherwise. And I think personally, we had a little bit of a setback on Friday. A little bit. So I was I was kind of uh, on the weekends. I like to get away from my phone, enjoy my own time. And uh, I j it just starts ringing off the hook. I start getting text messages of like, look what's going on. And I was like, what the hell? House Republicans, what the hell's going on there? So the, the backdrop to this is you'll recall that early in, well, I should say midsummer, Republicans separated out an infrastructure debate, which is part of this build back better nonsense that Biden has come up with, which is just like two truly tragic bill, separated out the infrastructure piece from the what they call the human infrastructure, which is basically just taxing the shit out of everybody and, and spending. And it's just nonsense because there was some bipartisan consensus on just that piece. And they wanted to make sure that it wasn't an incentive to pass the larger piece of, piece of legislation. So they did that. It's been languishing in the House since July. And the reason for that is because the progressives took it hostage. Yep. They, the, they, the squad, in essence. Yeah, they said, and, and remember, we were talking a very small majority for the House uh, it, by Democrats. And so any kind of three or four votes matter. The progressives took it hostage and said, we're not moving this thing until you agreed to move the rest of this nonsense. The rest of this nonsense being like actually truly dramatic problems for this country if it ever got over the finish line. So 
the debate progressed. And you saw all summer kicking the shit out of each other. I mean, nothing but a circular firing squad. And, and a lot of that is reflected in the change in approval ratings for Democrats in Congress. The Democratic Party itself is at the lowest space it's been in, in decades because of this circular firing squad. So finally, at the end of last week, Nancy Pelosi decides we're going to try to just pass this bipartisan thing and, with the hopes of getting an agreement to vote on the rest of this. And the progressives were finally like, uh, some of them caved. So right. she felt confident enough to hold the vote. Well, lo and behold, she didn't have all the progressives. Yeah. She didn't have all the pro- Some progressives took a walk on it, meaning the vote itself was in great jeopardy of failing. If it had failed, they would have had to go back to the drawing board on the whole mess, right? Democrats in disarray, everything. It didn't mean that everything just is completely lost. What it meant was their momentum was done for the year, right? And and that was huge. That was huge because you saw all summer it was Dems in disarray. That was the story. Nancy Pelosi over and over was like, yeah, uh, today we're going to have a vote. Biden would go walk over to the Capitol thinking it's like the West Wing. Nothing happened. Well, and then meanwhile, also during that time, we weren't having long discussions about abolishing the filibuster. Exactly. Hacking the courts, all of this D.C. statehood, all this. We were doing it on our terms, not theirs. Right. It wasn't under immediate threat because they couldn't get their act together on any of it. Right. But lo and behold, they hold the vote. And incredibly disappointing that, what was it, 13? I Uh, think that's the number. Yeah, 13 Republicans. 13 House Republican uh, members of Congress voted and bailed Nancy Pelosi out of her problem. Which is horrible. I mean, we had them in in a corner. We had them cornered and in a position where if Biden gets nothing done in his first year, I mean, he's a a lame duck. And the red wave is going to come clean it up. And... So here's where I have the biggest problem of this. I actually don't care what your position is on the damn thing. There are a lot of people that like infrastructure. It is what it is. I happen to think that none of it should have passed, but that's just me. But even if you're for that, now is the time for smart strategy, folks. We started the week with a red wave election where we just truly shocked most of the corporate media and everybody across the country that just sort of believed Republicans didn't exist. Huge comeback in a state that Republicans hadn't taken in 10 years. Momentum finally consolidated behind Republicans. And what we've been saying in the variety program ever since basically January was going to happen, happened. Right. They ended the week with this quote unquote bipartisan accomplishment, the biggest accomplishment of the Biden administration. And and it's not like the media is going to give those Republicans credit no. for you know, now it's it's Joe Biden's achievement. It's the Democrats' achievement. It suddenly isn't bipartisan anymore. The second the thing passed, and and now they can all take a victory. Look at, look and that's at the thing. Headline. Like any any House Republican who is mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, you know, this is this is infrastructure is separate than the like you know the big what three point four trillion. This is the one point seven trillion or whatever the numbers are. It's way too much money to begin with on any of these bills, in my opinion. But it's like you said, it's it's not bipartisan. When the, when 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 Holmes, you brought up the the cover of the New York Times, the front page says. Democrats pass a $1 trillion bill for public works. Ah, weird. Weird how that works. There you so go. that's what those Republicans get, is you're not going to get any credit if you think there's any positive, you know, well, aspect to okay, this Well, okay, so d- just to play devil's advocate for a second here, in good faith, um, you know, let's say you're um, you know, a Republican in, like, Louisiana, right? Like, some funding for the levees, 
pretty important political issue. Like there are parochial like concerns here in this bill that, you know, people have some vulnerabilities that you want to get covered. I right. See, I see. Or like if you're in West Virginia. Right. And like you got crumbling infrastructure and you need broadband access. I can understand it. Would I have done it? No. But I can understand it. I, I mean, I can't because here's how I see it is, number one, if it's that critical, you could have gotten it done separately in some we could other have, way. We could have got it done when Trump was president. Exactly. Right. And then another example I, I go back to is I remember Cory Gardner, uh, former senator from Colorado, when uh, Amy Coney Barrett, the vote was up. I mean, there was a ton of pressure. He was in an election. Uh, he was in cycle. And he stood up and he and he, he voted to confirm her, Total even though he move. knew it would probably cost him, and it did cost him. But, right, but like, you know what? He put he put the country ahead of his own political career. I guess my my point is is I go back and I look at something from the Trump years, uh, USMCA, for example. That's the right? trade bill. Yeah, the trade bill, and you know, uh, Democrats were railing against it, railing against it, railing against it. Oh, it's you know, it's just NAFTA with a new coat of paint. That thing came up from a vote. It sailed. Yeah. It sailed because everybody wanted to come on to the bill for the big win. No Democrat actually wanted to vote against rehabbing NAFTA, right? At the end of the day, I feel like there's some similarities between that in the Trump administration and this. So I don't, yeah, I don't disagree with that. And But here's my point. Strategically, it's just dumb as shit. I agree 100%. So, so strategically speaking, none of the things that you care about are actually dead because right. they still have to do everything that's in this bill they have to like i like i feel like <laughs> number one okay so yeah Dem democrats who who got this thing passed can go back to their district and run some ads saying we we did the thing ultimately i think you know their fates are tied to the biden administration and its failures not oh, not this listen bill. Duncan, you know so i i agree 100 percent that the, the, they're going to get no political wind out of this right. nobody wants any of this shit like they they're not going to get a, a big bump because of this or Democrats that were making the case that if they had passed it, the voters all of a sudden would gravitate towards them. That ship is sailed. Right. Right. That that's not what I'm concerned about. What I'm concerned about is you have to recognize as a Republican. And look, I spent a lot of time in Republican leadership. You have to recognize when the time to support things is and when time is not. This was not a time to bail Nancy. She is literally, literally presided over the worst conference management I have seen in 20 years of being around Washington and she's got stories today about how she's the smartest most yeah, powerful no, person it ever. makes me it makes me cringe but one thing I would say maybe this is a silver lining and I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate in all of this uh those progressives took a walk on on this bill they did so you know if you're if you're Josh Gottheimer one of these other you know quote-unquote moderate Democrats who have been negotiating on this for months now and you see AOC and the, some of the squad take a walk on infrastructure, you think you're going to be putting your back in to pass the BBB, you know, tax and spend agenda? <laughs> I sure hope not. But I mean, now they've got the opportunity and they wouldn't have had the opportunity. Right. That's my point. Yep. They would not have had the opportunity well, to the, support it. Another silver lining to this, this bifurcation that happened in the Senate is... Basically, <laughs> the D.C. press corps asked Joe Manchin every day what his number is for what he would do on that tax and spend plan. Right. And the negotiating has come down like two trillion dollars. So yeah. just by bifurcating that, we've we've ostensibly theoretically, theoretically here, unless they somehow got it back up to three point five. Right. We've saved some money that way. The, That's a silver lining. Yeah, well, that I think the strategy kinda, sucks yeah. now. 
and I'm really upset about it, but I'm trying to find a silver yeah. lining here. No, listen, you're good. What you just said is unassailably true in that when Republicans bifurcated the process, they forced moderates and progressives into a war with each other that is thus far resulted in a $2 trillion reduction of their price tag. Right. Unquestionably, right? That part is true. My point is, you wouldn't have any of it. Yeah. You wouldn't have, if Republicans would have held the line here, they would be back at the drawing board, complete disarray, talking about leadership changes, talking about how Pelosi's lost her edge, talking about how Biden can't go sell for the third time on Capitol Hill the ability to pass his number one piece of his agenda. All of that was the headline this morning instead of Nancy Pelosi's a genius and Democrats got this thing done. Ugh. Right? And, and and my thing for any Republican who voted yes on this, uh, uh, there's a couple things they need to think about. If you think this is going to stop the Dems from redistricting you out, you're sorely mistaken. They will 100% get rid of you. Yeah, look at Kinzinger. And, and, and next up is... Do you think any Dem is going to cross over and vote for you? They're like, you know what? This guy's a Republican, but he voted yes on this infrastructure bill. Hell no. They're going to vote for the Dem anyways. I mean, look, I don't know. I, You know, I haven't looked at polling in, in, in New York congressional districts for some of these incumbent Republicans. So I don't know. But at least it's not the $3.5 trillion. Yeah, we mean, just This is what we got to actually take down. It, we do have to take it down. I mean, it all sucks. Don't get me wrong. But like. This one's the big enchilada. No, no, everybody needs to understand that. This is, this is, in my view, completely ridiculous in terms of its scope and size and shouldn't have gotten done for all the strategic reasons that I talked about. The other, the BBB thing is, is truly consequential. Like it changes your country. If you're worried about inflation, supply chains, the economy writ large, immigration, they've got, they throw through full amnesty provisions in that thing. That, that the thing that sti- has not passed, just so for our still, listeners. Yeah, so that's right. still out there. My problem was I just I want to throw as many wrenches. Once they've decided that this is the pathway that by which they're going to govern a divided Congress, you throw as many wrenches into that process as you can, which I, in my view, Republicans did very well by bifurcating the two bills, right? An extension of that is once the last two months have happened and you win in Virginia and Democrats are on the ropes, the last thing, the last thing you do is throw a lifeline to these idiots. Right, because there's that ticking clock, right? Like there's going to be a a, a period of time somewhere in like the end of Q1 2022 when nothing's going to move anymore, right? That's right. Like everybody's going to be busy campaigning. So like there is a real ticking clock on all this stuff. And we moved that ticking clock like three more months by bifurcating this process. And now- we had an opportunity to have it slide into the holidays where then they got, you know, other priorities they have to deal with, the omnibus, whatever. And we bailed them out. So, I mean, look, polling shows that Build Back Better sucks, as we predicted. Uh, there was a national poll that was conducted by Emerson that showed 34% think it has a positive impact. 39 said negative, 16 no impact, 11 unsure. We're talking about a legislative issue. If you're in the 30s, the low 30s on that, you ain't good. So it's a fight. It's a fight, obviously, politically that benefits Republicans. They've got to wage it, but they have to wage it a shitload smarter than they have up to this point. Yeah, and that's especially point. especially given what's in the in the in the Build Back Better bill. I guess that's what this is going to be called. Uh, something really interesting that came to my attention is there will be money in there for local newsrooms. 
uh, Kyle Smith on Twitter found this. It says, the House version of the Build Back Better Act contains a provision that news media advocates have sought for years. It's a payroll tax credit that supports local news organizations for employing journalists. <laughs> the Joint Committee on Taxation pegs it at $1.67 billion over 10 years. You think the variety program gets that tax <laughs> credit? Yeah, right. So it's like, no Do you wonder- think Tara McGowan's like fake news network gets this tax <laughs> oh, credit? Oh, totally. Because if they do, that is incredible. That's a, that, is, that is incredible. That would be unbelievable. It's like, how much more PR do they need from the journos for like the damn agenda? They're well, like, it tells well, let's you, just buy some more. Yeah, it tells you exactly what it is that they're doing. Uh, anyway, all right. So I think we've covered that. We're obviously unhappy about it. But we need to try to reconsolidate and push forward. We have an incredible political environment to take advantage of. People need to do their work. Yes. Let's go. Let's get to Hollywood head. Yes. Let's bring it. Let's lighten this mood. Do we have a do we have a little intro for Hollywood head? What's up? I would just like to say, Smug's the only one not dancing to my intro music. He's oh, not a dancer. I, I was checking wow. my messages. It's a very danceable intro Thank song, you, I'll say. Geez. Outstanding intro. <laughs> Glad to have you back on. I, th- there's a lot of new listeners to the Variety Program hearing Hollywood Hen for the for first time. For the first time. time it's going to be their, their greatest day of the well, week. Well, yeah, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Every once in a while, we just need a little update from Hollywood. And uh, and yeah, I mean, what do you got on the docket for us today? So we have one of y'all's favorites to talk about. Oh my gosh. Pete Davidson. Yes, back yes, in yes, King, yes, King. yes. So he is casually dating Kim Kardashian. Come on. And is that here's, confirmed? Here's That's our real? proof. Here's our proof. They made headlines after they were snapped holding hands on a roller coaster last month. Holding hands? Yeah, while riding a roller coaster. Oh, my God. But And everyone was like, oh, they're just friends. Maybe she was scared on the roller. You know, whatever. She grabbed for his hand. But then they had dinner together in his oh. hometown um, of Staten Island. Ew. And then they had <laughs> another meetup um, at Zero Bond, a private club in New York City. And so apparently now news reports are saying that they are casually dating and taking it slow. And I have to ask you this, and we've covered it on the program time and again. Pete Davidson is not naturally one of the most handsome men. No. Steve Buscemi level. (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. So, so... How does he pull it what off? What gives? Yeah. So a lot of actually now that, you know, people have kind of said that before, but now that he's kind of with Kim Kardashian, those articles are coming out more and more, I feel like. Yeah. And everyone has said she's just attracted to his sense of humor and that he like keeps things light and is funny. I mean. Like the variety program. Yeah. For those of you, and we're not going to recount it all here, but for those of you who are unfamiliar with the Rolodex of Pete Davidson, you need to go Google Pete Davidson and who he's dated. You will be it's line 100% made a deal with the devil. I, I, I can't put into words how shocking it is. He's dated like every hot woman in, in Hollywood some for, for a period of time. Yeah. Which like, I always think, oh yeah, it's another like guys win because this guy gets all the hot girls. <laughs> Dude's rock. But, th- but then I'm like, you know, every article that comes out though is always like, but he's not good enough and not worth it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like, is it good for him? Because every story that accompanies this is like, he's actually horrible, like not that great looking and like, we don't understand it. I mean, that's I mean, going to take a toll at some point. Well, he's crying all the way to the rack on each yeah. one of us. As, oh, as, we, as we found out, as we found out with Politico, 
any publicity is good publicity. That's right. <laughs> That's true. That's right. My favorite part of this story is Hans' like casual elitism of not counting Staten Island as part of New York City. <laughs> oh, wait, I didn't good even know. Casual elitism. <laughs> but it is, I mean, it's, it's truly astonishing. This guy puts points on the board at the highest levels. Incredible. I'll be very interested to see. I mean, she's what, 41? He's 27? <laughs> we'll see. Is he still in his 20s? He's done all of this Apparent, in his 20s? Apparently, yeah. Wow. She's a mother of four. I don't know. We'll see how this goes. He should do, you know, he should do some, you know, when they have those, what are they called, master classes? Yeah. You know, when they have like famous <laughs> chefs that come in and teach you how to like make bread and stuff? Right. Well, you remember there was that show called The Pickup Artist? You know, with the guy with the funny hat and he would do this thing. He's like, you got a peacock. You got to look different. And you, you know, that's how you get the, you know, women. Women are attracted to that at the bar. Right. But like Pete Davidson's been doing that his entire career and it's worked. This man should have a master class. He should. My point. He should. He, he should, should have, I mean, that is worth, if you're a single man, that is worth subscribing to. But I you have know, no idea. Maybe it's not that hard. Maybe he's just <laughs> funny and just like tells them they're beautiful and like girls are kind of easy. And they're like, this, this is good for me. <laughs> That's my favorite hen take. Hollywood hen. Girls are easy. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, I'm not sure it's that, like in Hollywood, maybe if you're just kind of nice and like funny, it's like girls are like, oh, this feels different. But yeah. I don't know. But I also think he's just got... He has such a track record at this point. There has to be just sort of like interest. Yeah. Like what's up with this? Yeah. Right? Because I do think there's something to what Hen said though. Like if you're in Hollywood and you're only around like actors yeah. and musicians and I feel like a comedian is like a whole different right. sort a of thing. Right. Self-deprecating comedian who maybe like pays you more attention than like, you know, right. a normal guy would. I don't know. Normal Hollywood guy would. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, what an amazing story. What else do you have? Well, for I will just like to follow up with that. Um, it's not like Kanye's not doing anything. So, Oh, you got to rep Kanye. So, yes. As By as, the way, listeners, she is literally sitting here in a Kanye sweatshirt. Yeah, I'm wearing Kanye merch. Jesus is king, <laughs> Kanye West. Um, but he has been spotted with a 22-year-old model. So I just want to throw it out there. Dude's like. Rock. Kim, You're yeah, right. like this is one. This is one where I want dudes to win because I'm so team Kanye. Yes, and he is with a 22 year old model. It's so like she can have Pete Davidson all she wants. Kanye's totally fine. He's okay, doing fine. Uh, yeah, that makes so. I just sense. I just need to throw that out there. A rare departure from the girls' rock take from Hollywood head. Yeah, only Kanye really. Okay, you know, very him over Taylor Swift. All of it. Very. very <laughs> yeah. Rock. Okay. All right. Um. Okay. Then the second story um has to do with. Leonardo DiCaprio and oh, Jeff yeah. Bezos. Um, so there was a video circulating on Twitter earlier about um, Leonardo DiCaprio was kind of standing and lording over Jeff Bezos as he was sitting with his girlfriend. And the video shows his girlfriend just kind of gaga, oh, googly she's eyes feeling it. Yeah. at Leonardo DiCaprio, not paying attention <laughs> at all to Jeff Bezos. And so Twitter went wild saying that Leonardo was going to steal his girl. Um <laughs> Even though he has a very beautiful girlfriend himself, but but he keeps term limits on those. He does. As we know. He has age amazing. limits. Yes, D doesn't he? Yes. And I, I'm not sure that that Bezos's gal actually fits that. Doesn't isn't it smug? Was it? Was it? He like never dates anybody over 25. Yeah. There's there's this like famous chart of uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and who all he's dated, and the the age limit is 25. Like <laughs> once someone he's dating turns 25, he drops them and just moves on. It's it's wild. I mean, yeah, I don't know what to say about so that. So how did Bezos take so it? So then Bezos responded um, with a tweet of his own 
that said, Leo, come over here. I want to show you something. And it was um, an image of Bezos leaning over a sign that said, danger, steep cliff. Drop. <laughs> That's pretty he good. He took it well. So he took it well. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say I empathize with, with the guy, with Bezos, but, you know, um, coming up in school when Titanic came out. Yeah. You know, and every uh, girl yeah. you're interested was, in yes. had a crush on Leonardo DiCaprio. I empathize with the guy. Yeah. Let, let me just say, like, for the table, I don't want to speak for everyone. But if if Leonardo DiCaprio came over to my house and started talking to my wife, I just know that, like, this is this is going to be over. Right. I mean, <laughs> if, if Leo wants to take my house, he's going to leave with it. It's 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 for me. It's simple. It's like uh, you see in that video. Bezos is what he looks like. He's he's maybe like five eleven. Leo's like six. It was like 100% proof short guys just lose. No matter, <laughs> no matter what you do, no matter how much money you Listen, make, if you're a short dude, it's not going to work. Uh, this might be an unpopular take. I would choose the money over Leo. A hundred, a 100%, no questions asked. Wow. <laughs> couple of headlines here. Hot takes coming from Ken. Hot takes coming from Ken today. I love it. I yep. love it. All right, ladies so and gentlemen. The news. Hollywood Ken. <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right, so um, while the media is paying very little attention to this story, um, it deserves a lot of attention. We've been talking, obviously, since the beginning of this program about Russia, the Russia Gate, the dossier, all the nonsense that they put the Trump administration through for his entire presidency. And you'll recall the special prosecutor, Durham, who was appointed, um, and then much to President Trump's dismay, did not file a bunch of charges while he was still in office. Well, Durham did not go to sleep. Um, Durham stayed on the job. And you'll recall about a month ago, he indicted this guy, Sussman, who was a, a lawyer at the same Perkins Coy, I think, outfit that Mark Elias and all those people are. Basically a big Democratic firm, mm-hmm. right? And and the charge was essentially that this guy helped corroborate or try to provide information to the FBI and, and didn't disclose the fact that he was working for the campaigns, essentially. It's unbelievable. Right? So, But fast forward to last week. Durham drops a new indictment. And this one, let me just, let me before we get into the indictment, let me just say, what he is uncovering bit by bit is what everybody has been saying since the very beginning. That the dossier itself was composed and built for the Clinton campaign. Right through a whole bunch of different Russian sources and her lawyers, essentially. It's the only time, as someone who's worked on political campaigns, the only time opposition an opposition research document came out and people called it anything but an opposition research document and treated it with great skepticism. It was called a dossier. That's the, so the media spent four years hounding President Trump about Russia, and then when Durham charges a Russian over the Clinton dossier... The media gives it like no coverage, and the 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 the, the news story I did find it said uh, in Washington, federal authorities on Thursday arrested an analyst who in 2016 gathered leads about possible links between Donald J. Trump and Russia for what turned out to be Democratic-funded opposition research, according to people familiar with the matter. So what ends up happening here is that there's this guy Danchenko, right, who's gathering information on behalf of. God knows who. Well, Christopher Steele, the guy. Well, eventually it gets to Christopher Steele. It is recommended to Christopher Steele 
by PR Executive One. The New York Times says that it matched the description and career of Charles Dolan Jr., who was a state chairman for the Clinton-Gore campaigns in Virginia in 92 and 96, was appointed to position the State Department in the Clinton administration, and is a totally well-wired Democrat, the kind of which the Clinton campaign had sort of as an insular force within their operation. Right. Right? So the bottom line is, let me just read a couple of things. The Inspector General report... Um, also said that a decade e- earlier, Mr. Danchenko, who was born in Russia but lives in the United States, worked for the Brookings Institute, a prominent Washington think tank, and had been subject to counter va- counterintelligence investigations into whether he was working as a Russian <laughs> agent. So it turns out like all the Russian assets were helping Clinton. Right. It's right. wild. Right. So, but, but that's let's just stop on that for a minute, right? So the allegations against President Trump and his administration were that he was colluding with the Russian government and Russian fixtures in order to try to win the 2016 election, right? And it helped with the meddling, quote-unquote, meddling of the which amounted to like Facebook ads, right? Right. So in reality, what was happening was that there were actual Russians who were working in concert with Christopher Steele to help assemble a dossier that made for the basis of the investigation itself into President Trump and plagued his entire administration, resulting in an impeachment. Mm -hmm. The entire investigation with that dumbass, who's the FBI guy? Why is his name? James Comey. Well, James Comey opened it, and then then they had, what's his name? Peter Strzok. Oh, Jesus. Moore? Clapper? Yeah, now keep going. Who's the guy? There's a lot of dipshits out there. Mueller. The Mueller, the entire Mueller investigation and the $38 million that they spent you know what was not in the Mueller investigation? Hmm. This asshole. Right. Thing. I mean, Chuck Ross uh, has done a lot of good reporting on this. He, he broke down a lot of this information. It turns out that Hillary-linked operatives had way more connections to the Russian government than Trump ever did and says some of the sourcing for the Steele dossier was right under BuzzFeed's nose the entire time. But instead of reporting the correct story, they paid an ex-FBI guy $4 million to patch together a bunch of BS to salvage the dossier. It's unbelievable. So, And what, what Smug's referring to is the actual publishing of the Steele dossier was done by BuzzFeed, right? I don't want to give any credit to, the, to the, any other corporate media entity because they all just failed entirely in this, and they reported on it. But BuzzFeed actually released the entire dossier Look, unsubstantiated rumors yes rumors and it was it, it was entirely an opposition research file right that was built on false information right that that then these clinton affiliated attorneys back-ended into the department of justice and the fbi right and then our intelligence services gave it credibility to hobble the trump presidency i mean it's I, they got to keep digging on this because this is damning stuff. It is so damning that it's it's hard to really put into words. Guys, for any time a Democrat says anything about election integrity, you need to point to this nonsense. Yeah, yeah it's unbelievable what, what, what they spent years doing. There was a great thread, uh, Drew Holden, who puts out a lot of great threads on Twitter, um, where he just posted all these screenshots of the media and, and, and the FBI douchebag you mentioned over the years. You had MSNBC, uh, April 19th, 2018, MSNBC tweets out, Christopher Steele, quote, was considered a reliable person by the FBI. <laughs> That's James Comey telling uh, Maddow that. Yeah, everything you need to know. Yeah, uh, reliable based on who? 
Yeah. Based on the Democratic lawyers who are interfacing with the FBI and the Department of Justice, but they didn't disclose, as we now know with the indictment of Sussman. That they that, were working for Clinton. That they were working for Clinton. Yeah. Right? So they came to the FBI with all this nonsense information. Just concerned citizens. Yep. Just whistleblowing away. <laughs> Right. And it, and all of it was bullshit. I thought Jonathan Swan of Axios had, had a great tweet to, to sum this whole thing up. The charges are that not only did Clinton Democrats fund the dossier, but a longtime Clinton Dem operative was one of the sources for the rumors about Trump. It doesn't get much worse. It's the worst. I hope people go to jail. I'm not going to be happy until people are locked up for this. And, and no matter what, like you had... Right after President Trump was elected, you had Time Magazine with like covers of like, oh my gosh, the White House is turning into St. Peter's Square. Right. I mean, we we, we talk a lot about disinformation in our media right now. This was an orchestrated disinformation campaign through political operatives who are hiding their intentions and using our intelligence services against a sitting president. People have to go to jail. You have to. You have to. And it hijacked a country. That's the thing. It hijacked a country. It was the only thing that was coming out of the news media for the better part of four years. Time after time, day after day. It was things like, you know, the the bank with the weird... Uh, oh, Alpha Bank, the server. Yeah, uh, it, it, everything from that to, remember what was his name? Uh, they said Cohen was in the middle of... It was of, in Prague. There was a smoking gun in Prague. Bullshit. Yeah. It, all of it. All of it is nonsense. Absolute nonsense. And now we're getting to the bottom of it. I'm, I'm, I'm pissed that it's now taken this long to get to it but i'm super happy that somebody's keeping an eye on it yeah no i mean like look obviously faster would have been better but i think now at this point a fulsome accounting of all of it is preferable than rushing through it i want to know everything i want to know everything i want there to be a final report and i want that final report to include the indictments and convictions of the people responsible for this. And I don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat. If you look at your democracy and you realize that there is one party so well wired into the deep state of this country that they can basically create out of thin air a bunch of rumors and open up an an official Department of Justice investigation that takes down a president of the United States, you you have to take action. There is no greater threat. 100%. There is no greater threat. And by the way, that's what the Russians intended to do. That is 100% it. That's what they intended to do. All right, let's let's lighten this thing up. I've got um, a lot of humor out of the reports about Joe Biden and his trip to Europe and his incontinence. Yeah, it's well, it, this is uh, Biden's natural gas and wind plan. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll recall that there was a bunch of speculation when he visited the Pope because they didn't do a public sort of event that they were scheduled to do, and they were rumor-mongering amongst the Italian press. That he pooped his pants. Let's just just call it what it is. There were rumors that Biden pooped his pants. (laughs) Doesn't get more presidential than that. Sure doesn't. So now Camilla Parker Bowles is apparently been speaking to everyone about the fact that when she met Joe Biden, he farted. Yeah. The New York Post is reporting. This is this is from their, you know, cavalier reporting on the subject. Very, very important. Good reporting. It says President Joe Biden let out a long, loud <laughs> fart 
while speaking with the Duchess of Cornwall <laughs> at the COP26 summit. I love that they note that it was long. Yeah. <laughs> and Camilla, uh, obviously audible, yeah. if she recalls it. C- Camilla Parker Bowles, quote, hasn't stopped talking about the 78-year-old's, quote, long fart that has been reported. The pair were making small talk at the Global Climate Change Gathering in Scotland last week when the president broke wind, according to an informed source that spoke to the Mail on Sunday. It was long and loud and impossible to ignore, <laughs> the source told the outlet. Aren't you guys glad we can be proud again? Yes. That's so yes, proud. Finally, the world is holding America in high esteem. <laughs> finally, we can be so proud. That's inspired writing, by the way. Yeah. I mean, well, the New York Post, they're always on point with it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, no one takes Joe Biden seriously. And it's just hilarious watching all these Dems in the media work so hard to make this old guy who's clearly not all the way there, can't get anything done, doesn't know what's going on. As some sort of, like, hero. It's amazing. Like, I was concerned sending him abroad because I figured he'd nod off, which he did. He did. He fell asleep, yeah. I figured he would say completely ridiculous things because he can't pay attention long enough to to hold any content. That happened. Yeah. What I never imagined is that he would just be blowing ass all over the place. (laughs) No one one expects that. Nobody expects that. I mean, wow. Is that just, oh, God. Anyway, all right. Well, listen, guys, we've got uh, a lot of different problems at home, as we have well covered. But I saw this clip of Energy Secretary and Foley foe, Jennifer Granholm, laughing her tail off at the idea that she can do something about increasing oil production because Americans are paying so much at the pump. And I... I'll be honest, like I, it takes a lot for me to be sort of offended by something, but it, it showed me exactly what these people think of, of us and like what they think of the average American is that it's her job basically to authorize leases for oil and gas production. Recall like they shut down the Keystone pipeline the, the moment That's they the got thing. in there. That's right. the thing. Right. Is like she's laughing at everyday Americans having to pay so much more for gas and is like, I'm just the energy secretary. What can I do about it? When like they show up and they shut down every pipeline, you it, know, when they make a point of being like, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to stop America now that we have energy independence. We're going to stop America from being, you know, a net positive energy producer. And you'll recall back in like May when we started beating this drum that this was going to be a big problem coming into the winter. Yep. And nobody was talking about it. Well, now energy secretary Granholm uh, says that she basically admits that it's going to be a lot more expensive this year than last year to heat your home. Yeah, she said Americans should expect it to cost more to heat their homes this winter. Quote, it will be more expensive this year than last year, just like everything else under the Biden administration. And the uh, the Biden administration is currently gathering data on whether they should shut down the Line 5 oil pipeline in Michigan, which would actually lead to fuel price shocks in the region, according to people familiar with the administration effort. It's unbelievable. Well, and they and they claim they can't do anything about it, right? That's the source of her laughing. Is it's like, there's nothing I can do here, right? Right. But when the when the administration previously did, they they held them entirely accountable. They were asking for them to open up the strategic oil reserve and all of that. But this is her reaction now. Well, yeah. just Michigan, it is two dollars eighty nine cents a gallon. I guess that's better than in California. What is the grand home plan to increase oil production in America? 
<laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> I mean, just just laughing at everyone who's having to like pay an arm and a leg for gas. It's That's incredible. hilarious. I mean, it, it it tells you exactly what they want to do though with this build back better green new deal bullshit, right? It's they don't give a shit how much oil and gas costs Americans because they think we should use none. Exactly. Uh, right. I mean, like, right. there's absolute disdain for for anybody who works in the energy sector in America, you know, in natural gas and oil production and coal. I mean, they look at they look at those people with disdain. So of course she laughs. I mean, that's my take. And and, and, and also, you got to contrast this when when she's laughing at the suggestion that the administration could do anything about uh, energy prices. Uh, here's a quote from Politico. It says, "In the on- this is when a Republican is president." Uh, it says, quote, in the ongoing showdown over high gas prices, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi called on President Bush Tuesday to dip into the strategic petroleum reserve to lower the price at the pump. Uh, and this is this is Clinton saying, uh, I urge the president to release oil from the strategic petroleum reserve and the Northeast heating oil reserve to send a signal to the market and ease concerns about low crude oil stocks that are driving prices higher. There you go. Wow. Oh, weird. That's weird. Weird how it's totally controllable under the previous administration. Well, you remember Pete Buttigieg couldn't do anything about the supply chain crisis. He, he, you know, he was saying, oh, well, you know, I'm on paternity leave. He, he, I, I noticed he was able to show up for a victory lap after that infrastructure bill This passed. fucking guy. Can we start on this fucking guy? I mean, we talked about how he was on paternity leave but managed to make it to his own documentary. Yeah, his premiere in Chicago. So consider the fact that this like bipartisan thing, the largest investment in American infrastructure in history, was on Capitol Hill for three months and he didn't so much as like show up. No. Right? He he didn't like they didn't have him do anything. He was nowhere to be found. Right. Anywhere. And it wasn't just the paternity leave. It was like it for since the beginning of this. Right. He's been nowhere. But he shows up yesterday. To take credit for this damn thing. Right. I think it tells you an awful lot about the Biden administration and their succession plans, to be honest with you. Yeah. I noticed Kamala went abroad. Yeah. And they got peed out doing victory laps of, you know, Harris team, watch yourselves. But I mean, most White Houses, if you're looking to try to take a victory lap over this stuff, or at least they, they would have the vice president on Capitol Hill. Right. Sort of advocating for this so she could take some credit and whipping well, remember that was biden's role during the obama administration it, it was but she's nowhere to be seen but who shows up on monday morning mayor pete mayor pete <laughs> mayor pete if you want to know what the biden white house thinks the 2024 ticket should look like look no further than that yep that's it it's incredible hey let's talk about christmas for a minute absolutely one of my favorite subjects i have to start with is your tree up it's 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 on the way Oh, did it's you order a new one? I did. It's on the way. You ordered a new one. Absolutely. Was it a larger tree? Yeah, I mean, it's same, I think it's like six, seven feet tall. Yeah. Is this a it's real or artificial? Artificial tree? tree. Yeah. So, but you had it. You had a nice little like a like a table side tree. No, I mean, last year I had the same. It was about seven foot tall. Tree. So, do you discard your you discard your artificial trees? trees? Yeah. <laughs> what? They're gone. <laughs> what? <laughs> Hold on. 
Hold on. I mean, you celebrate the season and then I'll, I'll <laughs> Hold go. on. Goodbye. <laughs> you, Goes in you the don't, trash. You don't what, do I get store to recycle it. the thing? No. You, you no. don't store it for next year? No. I mean, who wants to deal with that? You know, you got you got what? I'm going to take down the lights. I'm going to it's it's like a frosted tree and all this. I don't want to deal with any of that. It, it's a disposable tree. Exactly. <laughs> like you, you get an artificial tree. I don't even want to take the lights apart. It's like you just put in pieces out and it goes. Let the garbage man away. Do you put ornaments on your tree? Yeah, I mean, I saved the ornaments. Oh, you do. Oh, I, I, okay. I've, I've well, had, that's nice I've had to know. Minions. I've had several people send me great ornaments. Those, those, those are stored. So you yeah. keep the ornaments, you throw the tree. That's the plan. This is that's it's the, it an apartment situation, so maybe you don't want to have to they, store. Yeah, I don't want to deal with that. Okay. <laughs> well, the bad news is you're not going to be able to get anything under the tree. Isn't that, yeah? Thank you. Thanks to the Biden supply uh, crisis. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. But I, I, I've now watched this start to happen with people that I know and are, are friends with, where they'll they'll go to order something for their kids for Christmas, and they'll be like, yeah, good news, it's it's in stock, we'll have it in February. Jeez. You know? And that's the thing, is like, uh, already you're seeing there's like Black Friday sales, they're like, oh, they're coming early this year, which is like, hopefully we have them in stock before Christmas. That's what's happening right now, is retailers are realizing... We can't get anything in stock. We're already going to have our sales, you know, end of October, start of November. Order now. It's basically the message to parents who are like, okay, you know, number one, can it even get here in time? Number two, can I even afford it? Because inflation's going through the roof. Oof, man. Well, we're going to keep an eye on all that. I do want at some point, fellas, I do want Christmas gift recommendations. I'm going to want to grill dads. Okay. Too, and I'm going to want, you know. Like Smug uh, sort of fashions himself a little bit of an aristocrat when it comes to... He's very sophisticated. ...to, to gift giving, and so I'd like to hear some of that, too, and maybe meld the two and see if we can provide some recommendations. Okay. Things that you can get. Yeah. Right? And also, uh, the, the one holiday we have on the way before Christmas, nice little Thanksgiving update. Uh, again, everything costs more. The price for a 16-pound turkey in 2020 was $28.80. Today... $55.20. Double. Wow. That's no joke, man. A $58 meal for your family, just the turkey. It's it's incredible. And, and remember, 4th of July, this White House was like, oh, you know, sure, it's going to cost a few more cents, but what are you going to do? That's that's their attitude towards everything. We should just keep playing that grand home laughing. Pretty thing, much. That's 100% that's, it. That's basically their view of all of it. Smug, I want to give you the opportunity to go China for a while. Yes, I. this is another base uh, Smug China segment. Yes. Um, one thing I really want to bring to everyone's attention, uh, you know, we've been talking about hypersonic missiles and how China successfully tested one. Uh, our, quote, intelligence community had no idea it was being developed, let alone successful. Uh, China now is building missile targets shaped like U.S. aircraft carriers and destroyers in a remote desert. I saw this. Yeah. Terrifying. It says, uh, this is from the article, it says, the Chinese military has built targets in the shape of an American aircraft carrier and other U.S. warships in the Taklamekan Desert as part of a new target range complex, according to photos provided to USNI News by satellite imagery company Maxar. The full-scale outline of a U.S. carrier and at least two Arleigh Burke-class destroyers are part of the target range that has been built in the uh, Ru Ruquang region in central China. The site is near a former target range China used to test early versions of its so-called carrier killer DF-21D anti-ship ballistic missiles, according to press reports in 2013. So, you know, while we have this administration uh, thinking they can't do anything about our energy prices, they're not 
we have no answer for the hypersonic missiles. We we get ourselves a national gender strategy. It's going to be. I was just going to say it's going to be very difficult to, for them to replicate the entirety of our carriers because I, I'm sure that they haven't wrapped their mind around our gender strategy. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the only thing stopping China. <laughs> I, I feel like our gender strategy will carry us through. And again, uh, this is along the lines of how we were told the adults are back, you know, in charge and how America is back on the world stage. This is uh, another article. This is over on Fox News. It says China mocks powerless Biden over climate summit apology. Uh, this is a quote from Biden it says, I guess I shouldn't apologize, but I do apologize for the fact that the United States under the last administration pulled out of the Paris agreement. That kind of put us behind the eight ball a bit. Biden said, uh, who's eight ball. That's the thing. Right. What is he talking We're about? The United States of America. Whose eight ball are we behind? Right. And We're not behind anybody's eight ball except for China, and this asshole doesn't re- doesn't recognize it. And by any measure, you see China's responsible for the like vast majority of of, of any pollution, of, of fossil fuel usage, anything that like uh, the administration is trying to cut back on and wants Americans to be like, you know, stop flying, uh, start eating, you know, uh, fake meat. That's it. You, you have to basically live in the pod, uh, give up your possessions, only be a vegetarian. Meanwhile, China, you can do whatever you want. Like, they never have to live up to any of these, like, promises that are made in any of these Well, at least they didn't mock them for the fart. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, you know, while China's practicing taking down U.S. aircraft carriers, our president's just, like, out farting. Farting his pants. (laughs) Or worse, according to the Italian. Or worse. Many people people are saying. Many people are saying. All right. Well, nobody in America is fooled by any of this. A batch of new polls showed up uh, in the Biden approval uh, is sinking so low it's incredible. He's at thirty eight fifty nine right now, according to Suffolk USA Today. <laughs> I mean, wow! Nearly two thirds of Americans, sixty four percent, say they don't want Biden to run for a second term. That includes twenty eight percent of Democrats. We're in year one. We're in year one. Twenty eight percent. Oh man, it's just it's really it's remarkable. There are states that are coming online here, like Colorado. So the Colorado Sun had this. Colorado voters have soured on Democrats heading into the 2022 election season. A warning sign poll indicates that President Joe Biden's numbers took a, took the biggest hit. Just 45% in Colorado Yeah, say they view him favorably. 55% in June. He was at 55. He's at 45. 10 points reduction in Colorado. And, and now uh, Republicans have a lead on the generic ballot. Uh, yeah. The RCP average has Republicans up by 0.5, which is huge. Mass. Huge. Well, because the most recent polls, like USA Today, have Republicans up 8. Emerson have Republicans up 7. You know, so that trend line is looking yeah, it's going, deep. It's still good. Going the right way. But but here's where I think the most important question is, and this is why this, this continues to sink. CNN did a poll November 1 through 4. Does Biden have the right priorities, right? Recall what everything we said at the top of this program, we're talking, they've been doing nothing but talking about spending, taxing, all this nonsense that nobody really wants. 42% of this country think he has the right priorities. 58 do not. Right. That's not even, say, that question usually works in terms of like, does he mean right? Does he... Does he feel, is he doing the right? It's like the most right. beneficial. It's a, it, it's a beneficial, it's a soft question. It's a soft question. 58% of this country is like, hell no, he doesn't. <laughs> That's just incredible to me. 
So, so one last thing uh, I want to touch on very quickly, which which is very hotly debated. I didn't know folks thought this was a bad thing. Uh, daylight savings time. So you know. Oh, you're a daylight the, savings time guy. Yeah. So so this weekend you got to change your you know fall back. You go back an hour, and uh, a lot of so it says here uh, in this article we're looking at it says sunset in DC tomorrow is four fifty nine p.m. I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I think that's a great thing. He, he loves I mean, darkness. why are people against this? <laughs> you, you love darkness. I mean, it's great. You get home. You love winter. Over. Yeah, winter is great. It's the best season, <laughs> number one. Winter is by far the best season. He's think like about the it. Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> <laughs> he loves the dark. I don't get it. It's like, okay, it's cold. It's dark outside. What are you going to do? Invite people over. It's the holiday season. Have some good bourbon. Have eggnog. Everyone gets together. Has a great time. That's that's what He that's frames what it nicely. No, I it's, mean, that's I, it. I mean, I, I got that visual and I, i'm picturing a door open and there's a chill in the air and people are coming in with sweaters on yep they're happy to see each other yeah, they get some eggnog i i get that Good part times. of it you know what Good i don't times. like i don't like <laughs> driving home in the dark every day or, or at like 4 30 you're you're in like desolate yeah. cold in the middle of february <laughs> yeah you know what i mean that's when it gets me i'm cool with the holiday season but as soon as you get in Past the first of the year, that start it starts to drag. No, I love it. It's great. Cold weather's what, way better. Because uh, here's the thing: is if it's cold, you can always put more stuff on. If it's like the dead of summer, if you go outside, you know you're instantly drenched in the humidity. There's nothing you can do. There's no solution. Nowhere to hide. You can't do anything about it. Nobody celebrates despair more than Spock. That's right. He, he finds <laughs> finds just silver linings of the worst. All right, well, guys, let's play a game. Let's do it. I think we should play. Claim to fame. Ooh. Don't you know who I am? Remember my name. Claim! Brainworm takes forever. You're gonna like my post. Most! I feel engagement forever. Broken brain takes with no shame. Claim! Hot takes up to 11. Saving Joe Biden from blame. It's gonna live forever. Ronnie, remember my name. Remember, 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 remember. remember. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. Well, so so for our new listeners, and there are many. Uh, this last last week was a big big week for us. This game, Clay to Fame. Ron Klain, White House Chief of Staff, the guy who is supposed to be running the government. Uh, is pretty prolific on Twitter. He he gives a lot of RTs to people who you know probably don't deserve them. Just uh, the most insane people, essentially. He's a, he's a real indiscriminate RT guy. Um, so this game I present to Smug and to Holmes four tweets, three of which have been retweeted by Ron Klain, White House Chief of Staff, and one which was not, and they have to decide which one was not. All right, tweet number one. And this is going to be interesting. <laughs> it's a tweet from Ron Klain himself. Yes. Yes, we can. And it's a story about the infrastructure package. Wait, he retweeted himself? I don't know. Did he? Did he? Whoa. Oh. Wait. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, That's... a misuse of the internet at the highest order. Is it possible? If, if possible. Wow. Let me see. Tweet number two. This is from Naomi Biden. I'll say it. This is a big fucking deal. <laughs> Wait, remind me who Naomi is. 
I think she's uh, one of the grandkids. I think is she one of Hunter's daughters? I don't know. We'll have to figure that out. Because I know some of the uh, 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 Biden or Hunter's daughters have me blocked on Twitter, so I don't I don't see their tweets. <laughs> yeah, it, it's one of the granddaughters. Yeah, of yeah. Joe. Okay. <clears throat> okay. And and also for for a reminder for folks, the, uh, there was a time after I think it was Obamacare. Obamacare, yeah. When like Biden again, you know, a mindless zombie, like doesn't realize the mic is hot, walks up to Obama, is like, "This is a big fucking deal." <laughs> Good for them. And that's He's never what, been very aware. And that's when he had control of his faculties. <laughs> Before he was sharding up and down Europe. <laughs> uh, tweet number three. It's from uh, Jennifer Rubin. Oh, wow. <laughs> Definitive predictions of doom went up in smoke, reminding us how the pack mentality that drives coverage often leads to a cringeworthy disconnect between headlines and reality. I, I love Ruben weighing in on what's oh, cringeworthy. It's so good, dude. It's oh. the least self-aware tweet ever created. Oh, my God. Tweet number four. This is uh, Jim Acosta appropriating yeah. the famous, um, ladies and gentlemen, The weekend oh, yeah. meme tweet uh-huh. where uh, you got uh, Daniel Craig doing the SNL thing. Ladies and gentlemen... Dot, dot, dot. The infrastructure weekend. Oh. <laughs> all Speaking these, of cringe. All of these are so cringe. All of these are really This bad. is the White House chief of staff um, who's RTing some of these things. Just just think about that. You got a president who sharts his way through Europe. You got a chief of staff who spends all day on Twitter. And you wonder why we have a supply chain crisis and an energy crisis in this country. <laughs> it's kind of right in front of you. I don't even know how to. Okay, right. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna secretly convey to Duncan my okay, guess I'm for gonna, which I'm one did turn. not get the claim retweet. Okay. All right. All right. Let's break these things down. Talk it out. Number one, I think Klain is the kind of guy who self retweets. So I think Duncan wanted to highlight that. That's I'll tell I you, we haven't it. seen it before. Yeah. But knowing our judge and jury, and how he reacts to the misuse of the internet. I feel like there's no way that if he ever did it, it wouldn't be a part of claim to fame. Yeah, I mean, and, and this is kind of like, you know, poker. When you're playing high stakes poker, you're less playing with what hand you got, more against who playing you're playing. the opponent. Yes. In, in that case, me. The yeah. jury. Yeah, so, so, so that's the approach I took on that. Okay. I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, the BFD thing, to me, it feels like something he would retweet it feels like because it's it's that kind of like he loves to do something that's sort of like faux edgy yeah you know what i mean like he he fashion i think he fashions himself as sort of like a hip yeah a little bit of a hip it's hard to be hip though if you rt yourself a lot what (laughs) well he clearly isn't (laughs) but i think he fashions himself as okay and also i think it goes along with he's such like a, a like lap dog for Biden, that he's like, oh, if I retweet the granddaughter, I'll get me some brownie points. Oh, Don't yeah, you're I'm right. Cool. There's internal politics to be played with that. Okay. Okay, so I'm, I think that's that's there, too. So really, it breaks down to Acosta and Ruben. Yep. Right? <sighs> Here's the thing. Does Acosta even cover the White House anymore? I don't know what he does. I mean, he basically just tweets garbage for resistance, like, you know, brainworm. CNN ratings are in the toilet. I mean, Ruthless Variety Program has like three times the listeners that they do in prime time. 
Yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's, it's an amazing stat having more listeners than CNN has viewers. Like, wow, good for Ruthless. Or is that sad? Does that even say anything anymore <laughs> these days? But one thing I want to mention about Acosta is so uh, years and years ago, this, this Acosta blocked me. And the reason is years and years ago, I guess the, the government was headed towards a shutdown. And he said, like, uh, a note from National Parks saying that, like, uh, in D.C., the garbage will not be picked up. And so I quote retweet him and say, guess you got to find another ride home, Acosta. <laughs> and, and he instantly blocks me. <laughs> Brutal. So he cannot take, take getting dunked on. It's like, okay, Acosta, <laughs> you deserve a, it. It's a great dunk. So really what I'm relying on here is whether or not the Ruben take is, is his take. It is his take. And you want to read that one more time? Definitive predictions of doom went up in smoke, reminding us how the pack mentality that drives coverage often leads to a cringeworthy disconnect between headlines and reality. It's the kind of thing that you retweet at the end of a, a battle you feel like you've gotten the best of and you want to send a message. Right, right. You guys were wrong. We were right. Because right. you know we probably had a lot of conversations with the reporters being like knocking down stuff, but like that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And so this is a, vent, a revenge. Would, yeah. yeah. And one of the weird things is like this administration, the Biden administration is like mad at journos for not doing enough to like make them look good after failure, after failure, like especially after Afghanistan. They're like, why are the journos not saying actually it's good? People are like falling off of planes. <laughs> so this goes to the theme of him trying to be like, oh, yes, the press are the bastards, not us not doing anything. Okay. All right. So I think. Look, this is a real toss-up to me. Real toss-up. I think I'm going to go with the Costa in number four. So I went with Ruben not getting the retweet because I think, again, this is Duncan doing some, like, switcheroo brain game on us to be like, oh, actually. Because typically, uh, longtime listeners know uh, Klain is a prolific retweeter of Jen Rubin. Then there was a little bit of a tiff when he was giving Max Boot more of the retweet right. love and attention. And so, you know, she started putting out even crazier brainworm takes to try to get attention. So I think this is Duncan trying to throw us off the track by being like, oh, well, of course, Ruben's a given. So that's why I said he did not retweet Ruben. All right. Who is it? Well, Jennifer Ruben's dry spell continues. She was not our team. Oh. I mean, Smug nailed it. As an excellent analysis, I've done that a couple of times. I just feel like if I keep doing it, eventually he'll get it wrong. But that's the thing. It's like now the next time Ruben is, is, is a, I'll be like absolute retweet. Right. Duncan is doing the, the mind switch again. Oh, it's so good. What a great, I can't believe any of those were retweeted, but there we are. There we have it. All right. Well, that's a wonderful game. I think we need to go to an interview, fellas. This is such a great interview. I, I They're all good. But being able to talk to Winsome Sears, the newly elected lieutenant governor of Virginia, an African-American who just completely crushed the Democratic narrative about what happened in Virginia, alongside Jason Miares, the first Latino elected statewide in, in Virginia attorney general. Um, it was truly a pleasure. And their, their enthusiasm is infectious. I hope you enjoy it. I want to welcome to the program two heroes of Virginia last week. These are the people who you undoubtedly know their names by now, Winsome Sears and Jason Miares. Winsome was elected uh, lieutenant governor. Jason was elected to be the attorney general. And I got to tell you, I am so happy to see both of your smiling faces. It is fantastic. 
to be here. You know, my staff was so excited when the Ruthless Prod podcast reached out to me. <laughs> Uh, yeah. so you have a lot of fans here in Virginia. I can assure you that particularly young 30, 20 and 30 somethings. Well, they're all fans of yours and, and Winston, let's start with you. I got to imagine the last week has been a whirlwind where you go from the, the hectic campaign that you all were running, you get to the, get to election day, you win and the world eyes are upon you. I imagine you've been doing just tons of interviews. How are you feeling? You know, it doesn't really feel any differently than what I've been doing. I mean, it, it, frankly, it, I, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm speechless because I don't feel, I think, what people think I should feel. It just feels regular to me because I'm just trying to get to work. I'm really itching to get to work on January 17th. You know, that's what I, I was elected to do. So it's I, I got the job, you know, I applied for the job. I got it. And now I have to wait all this time to get in there and actually do it. And I'm thinking, I can't believe I get to do this. I can't believe I get to do this. Right. Right, Jason. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I know Glenn's the same way, but I woke up the next day and just thinking, I want to, I wish I was being sworn in now because yeah. there's such a heavy, I mean, so some of it is just as so do we. Virginians seeing what's happened the last 12 years under this far left monopoly we've had you know, in this control, I think we're ready to just kind of get to work to be candid with you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you both ran absolutely excellent campaigns. Uh, I think from, for those of, of us who are uh, not from Virginia, I am, I happily voted for both of you. But for those of you, for those of us who haven't been following the campaign or don't live in Virginia, you two shattered the national liberal stereotype of what this race was about mm -hmm. into a million pieces. Of course, there was all kinds of discussion about whether or not there was critical race theory was the the preeminent issue, whether this was some sort of Republican dirty trick to try to amplify racial issues. I mean, I, I just look at at both of your smiling faces and I can't even imagine the restraint that it takes not to just stand on top of your desk and scream back at people. Actually, for me, it, you know, they're really coming after me because I'm a real threat. You are. And, and I have been a threat ever since I got involved in politics 20 years ago. And, you know, remember now, they wanted the Democrats took me to dinner quite a few times to try to get me to become a Democrat. But because I don't want to be a Democrat, suddenly they're calling me names. And so you're thinking, well, wait a minute, why would you call me names now if you wanted me to be a part of your club? Just not, you know, before. So, you know, I, I really look at them and I just say to myself, there's something deep in them that has been hurt. And if I could just get in there and, and show them that we don't have to be this way towards each other, then we'll be fine. Because when people are this vitriolic, when, they're, when they spew so much hatred against you, then there's got to be something deep. And that's when you feel sorry for them. Unquestionably. Yeah, I mean, and I think what you've seen is you have the Democratic Party now insulting the very voters they're trying to win back. I mean, I think that's probably what's so astonishing is the reason why CRT became an issue is because this lockdown, people heard what their children were learning at school. And I've said before, you cannot survive as a nation if you're raising an entire generation of children to learn to hate their country. There was a poll that came out right after July 4th that just asked, hey, are you proud to be an American and only 36% of young people ages 18 to 25 
that they're either very or even somewhat mm. proud to be an American. That's astonishing to me. And it's it's why there was such a great concern. We, what do you call them? School board moms, whatever phrase it is. But Winston's exactly right. MSNBC, which should be labeled DNC TV. I mean, they, yes. they, they don't try to be objective. They feel threatened. Um, and the vitriol I've seen, particularly against Winsome, is just yeah. astonishing and sickening, candidly. It's absolutely sickening, some of the stuff that I've said. I will say Winsome just smiles and moves on. I mean, she's not going <laughs> to let it phase her. Oh, I know. That's what I love about this. So on election night, when Republicans are having a good night, or I feel like they're going to have a good night, I have this perverse pleasure where I watch MSNBC. Because oh, I just, oh, I have to, I you're have a to. glutton for punishment. Well, actually, I yeah. can see that. Okay, I can understand no, it's, that. It's pure joy. It's not, it's, there's no punishment about it. If you watch the way that they handle it, I mean, first of all, there's this, this sort of like rejection of reality. Like, this can't be happening. And then you can watch them work through their, their emotions and their stages of grief in real time. And, and as they're doing this and explaining that, oh, well, of course, Glenn Youngkin must be some racist. Then you see Winsome come up and give her her accepted speech. And I was like, oh, man, this is just I, it's per, literally might be perfect. Yeah. And then with Jason, you know, being a Cuban, his Latino heritage, I mean, you know, it's ridiculous. And this is what it looks like, though, when you don't have any ideas, any new solutions. And I'm not saying all Democrats. There's a certain group of Democrats that really want to keep the status quo. And as I've said before, some of us want to leave Egypt. You know, if you want to stay, fine. But we're not going to ask you for permission to leave Egypt because, you know, I'm an adult. I'm going to leave. I make my own decisions. You don't make that for me. That would be a different country. That would not be America. Yeah. Well, you, you've, you've always been a trailblazer. For those of you who are not familiar with, with Winsome and her life and her career, you were a Marine. And there's yeah. some great pictures of that, by the way. I, I, I just love I love the picture of you standing there just fully armed, ready to go. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, and then so you started your, your public career, I guess, in the early 2000s. You, you served yes. the Virginia House of Delegates. Uh huh. I did. Um, I represented a 58 percent black district, 60 percent Democrat overall. So, you know, I had to get uh uh, black Democrats to vote for me, as well as other Democrats. Um, I couldn't have won without it. And I ran as a Republican. I didn't run as an independent. Uh, as I've said before, I was advised maybe I should run as an independent because there's no way you could win against a 20 year incumbent, by the way, whose father had the seat for 11 years prior. I joined the race three months before the election. And I have zero dollars. Did I say zero dollars? Zero dollars. A tough spot to, yeah. to start with zero. <laughs> yes. And, and you know, we won because, I mean, I, I knocked on so many doors and I got help from so many people who were just tired of their, their, their representative. And it, if they were that tired, it would have been a landslide, but it wasn't. I won by 500 votes. And so... You know, I had to work hard. I had to convince enough people and we won. And it was an awesome time, awesome time for me. Well, in your entire political career has been somewhat, it's interesting to me to look at uh, folks who I haven't worked with previously and and look at their background and look what motivates them and and how they 
got to this point in public service now where you're sort of on top of the world having a, a week like you did last week, but you have, you've been motivated by public service your entire life. I mean, you, you, if I'm not mistaken, I read that you ran a homeless shelter at one point. Yeah, I did. I ran a homeless shelter for women and children. And I tell you, it was the best job I ever had. Mm-hmm. I would come home at 11 o'clock. You know, my, my kids never saw me because when you see that you can provide hope, when you know that you're providing a bed and hot meals and the children can get a bath, you know, you just feel so good knowing that you can help people. I loved it. And then I did prison ministry. Loved that too. You know, um, as I've said, every Wednesday, six o'clock with my team, I was the, the lead giving the message and I learned something out of it too. It wasn't just for them. And I don't know. I've just always loved serving because I saw it happening in my family. Of course, when you're a child and you don't get to see your parents because they're off helping somebody else or your grandparents who are always around, they're off helping other people. You know, it's like, don't they have parents? Don't they have grandparents? You know, but so it rubbed off on me. Oh, it's an amazing story. And and Jason, your family, if I have this right, fled Cuba in 1965. Yeah, I mean, I've said before that uh, I represent Virginia Beach in the House of Delegates, but in some ways my story begins in Havana, Cuba in 1965 when a scared 19-year-old girl got on an airplane, penniless and homeless, and not knowing where her next meal was going to come from. That was my mother, Mira Miarez. And so I tell my daughters all the time, gratitude is one of the most underrated of all human traits. Hmm. Boy, was I raised to have such gratitude that I could live in this country. And so uh, I got elected to the House of Delegates and. 2015. So almost my mother fled Cuba in the fall of 65 and almost 50 years to the day that she left, leaving a country with no consent of the government. She was able to walk into a voting booth and get a ballot. I was able to vote for me to represent her in the oldest continuous democracy in the Western Hemisphere, the House of Delegates. So, you know, and that's just a uh, that's what I call the American miracle. The one thing about Winston and I is uh, we are both part of that immigrant story. So this other narrative that the media pushes uh, that we're, we are, uh, we're anti-immigrant. I'm, I'm the first child of an immigrant ever elected attorney general. I was speaking to a large uh, Sikh festival in Northern Virginia. And I said, listen, if your family came to this country seeking hope and opportunity, it's a good chance your family is a lot like my family. It'd be the biggest honor of my life to be your attorney general. And so I think that's why you saw the numbers that we got out of the Latino community and that shift. And the great irony uh, in all of this is as the Democratic Party has gotten more woke and more liberal and more far to the left, they're driving Latinos and Indian um, American and Korean American, Vietnamese American towards the GOP because we're the party of, of entrepreneurship or that mm-hmm. we have the people most against socialism are the people that have lived in their socialism. No, <laughs> they don't they don't want to be with the party associated with it. <laughs> it's such it's, it's a such great it's such a great point you hear that time and again out of south florida and, and cuban immigrants that we've had in a great community down there i mean there is nobody that is a greater evangelist for freedom and 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 everything against socialism and people who fled it and uh i i listen you have got now a great microphone the both of you to help broaden this tent right and make sure that there are a whole bunch of people who aren't Republican yet, but they ought to be and and need to hear from some folks like you to make sure that they know that they're wanted and and, and needed within this party. Here's the problem. I think uh, people uh, of your generation, um, we've got to make sure that you understand what's at stake, because 
Socialism doesn't ever work. They have tried it and tried it. They have just tried it within your lifetime. How many times and most recently in Venezuela? Mm-hmm. You can see what's happening. It doesn't work. Uh, I, I've mentioned that Venezuela has the number one largest oil reserves in the entire world. It's not Saudi Arabia. About 300 billion barrels of proven reserves, and yet they can't afford toilet paper. How does that work? You know, so, and, and it's because they think it'll, I don't know if you've ever heard the, the example uh, of how the different economic systems work. Uh, so I'll give it to you. It's called the two cows. And so here's capitalism. Well, no, let me start with uh, the, the other ones first. So socialism is when you have two cows and the government takes one from you and gives it to your neighbor. Communism is when you have two cows and the government takes both of them from you and gives you back some of your milk. Fascism is you have two cows and the government takes both of your cows and sells you your own milk. But capitalism now is when you have two cows and you decide to sell one of them and buy a bull. That's what we're talking about. You see, you buy a bull and you make even more production. So we have got to understand that socialism sounds good. It does. I I know, you know, uh, we're going to share and share alike. Except that some people are going to be sharing more often than others because to others, it came very easily. You never worked for it. You don't know what it's like to get your fingers dirty. Um, You know, you didn't put in the effort. You didn't put in the discipline. And so now I have to share what I have with you. That's not called sharing. You know, you have no sweat equity in this. And so I'm going to constantly have to share what I have with you. And most people forget, we tried this in America already in the 1600s when they first came over and it ended in cannibalism. It ended in cannibalism. It's a governor said, Hey, we're going back to that Bible verse where a man, uh, if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. You, this is your own little plot. You plant your own little plot and you work it and you eat off of it. Well, it's, it's, listen, it's certainly been a battle basically throughout our entire existence. And the left is basically making a, uh, a charge as we speak to try to recapture their socialist roots in, in, in many ways. But it takes courageous people like you to stand up and, and run against it. What's so fascinating about both of you is we started this election with a fait accompli that Terry McAuliffe and the Democrats were going to win statewide everything, right? I mean, they, they had dominated here for the last 10 years. Uh, the, the new administration came in to Virginia with a massive approval rating. And yet the two of you looked at that and decided to get in. Jason, at what point did you think you were running to win or, or, or trying to make a point? Because it, it looked like from both of you had the confidence you felt like you were going to win the whole way despite all evidence to the contrary. Well, listen, I'm sure with Winston would concur, we both walked through and thought and prayed through this back in November. For me, it was a conversation I had with my mother the Friday night before the election in 2020, where it was the first time I ever heard that she was scared. And I couldn't understand that. I mean, we've talked politics a lot. And um, she was, you know, not a fan of Bill Clinton, other 
presidents, but the first time she was scared and she said, I never thought the same tactics they used to see with the left that I saw in Cuba, mm. I'd, be, I'd see in America. And it really shook me to my core to maybe uh, decide to run. But I was reminded by one of my political staffers uh, about just a few days before the election, uh, you know, if you pull this off, you'll be the first candidate to knock off an incumbent attorney general in Virginia since 1885. <laughs> and I said, I am so glad I did not know that when I was considering whether no to run. <laughs> but, you know, to your point, though, Josh, you said something I think is so true, particularly among young people. I was speaking to a high school group, and of course, they always ask me about Cuba and socialism. I said, listen, the year Fidel Castro took power in Cuba, Cuba had the same GDP as Italy. And the year he died, they had the same GDP as Sudan. And the thing I find most remarkable is when you pull young people, just as many people say they prefer socialism to capitalism. And this is the, the question I always pose, pose to folks. The year I was born in 76, roughly 20 to 25 percent of the global population lived on less than two dollars a day or less. That's starvation level poverty. Uh, that number today is less than five percent. And that's even adjusted for inflation. I'm not playing with numbers. And I always ask high school students and college students this question. What happened? And nobody can ever answer. And the answer, as you know, is free market capitalism. It's countries like China and India and South Korea and Hong Kong and others. They, they increasingly in Chile, they increasingly shifted away from state control of their economy to free enterprise and capitalism. It was the greatest eradication of poverty in human history. Over 1.2 billion people lifted out of starvation level poverty. And nobody in our country knows that. No young people. Some do, but overwhelmingly our young people are graduating from our colleges. They have no idea that we've seen the greatest eradication of poverty in the last in the last 40 years since 1980 because of this system that is really unleashing human ingenuity and human dignity. And it's amazing once you unleash that, mm -hmm. how much wealth and ideas and art and everything is created. And, you know, Winston saw this some in Jamaica. I mean, people do is just Cuba. She saw that some in Jamaica. They, they adopt some of these socialist policies as well. And it breaks my heart. So many young people don't know. So thank you for your podcast, because you're able to talk to a new generation and talk to these issues. I think it's just critically important. Yeah, it terrifies me what I'm seeing in the next generation right now, how, how little they understand what makes America such a unique uh, last best hope on earth, as they say. Well, listen, you all are doing your part to make sure that we reverse the trend here. And, and as you said, education these days leaves a little bit to be desired, which is why that was such a big issue for, for Glenn Youngkin and you two during the course of, of your campaign. I got to just thank you for, for choosing to run. Thank you for running the kind of campaigns that you did run. All of us who live in Virginia saw the ads and saw you were all responsible for the end of the earth as we know it. But somehow you came out on the other end looking great. And we all have hope for a next generation of leadership in Virginia as a result. With that being said, I got three big questions for the both of you that we ask every single person on this that comes on this show. And these are the ones that the minions really pay attention to. So and I get your thinking cap on. Actually, there's no bad answers, just inauthentic ones. Uh, so, so the first question is, if you could choose your last meal on earth, what would it be? Winsome? You know, I, I don't know, but I'm just going to say ackee and saltfish. <laughs> okay. Okay. Authentic. Very authentic. Uh, for me, Ropa Vieja. Ah, uh, very good. You got to remind me what that is. It's like shredded beef over rice. You put a little side of uh, black beans and rice and flan. That, that's my last meal. 
I love it. And a, and a shot of Cuban coffee, so I'm wired when I when I uh, get to heaven. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. You both were fairly modest. It's your last meal. You know, you can put you can put on a lot of calories without worrying about there it. There you go. <laughs> but I know Winston, I know with you and your green juice, you're a little bit of a health nut. No, I'm not a health nut. I'm forced to be a health nut because otherwise I'm not going to be able to run the, the well, see, I'm still in campaign mode. I'm not going to be able to continue because <laughs> it takes a lot out of you, you know. Uh, to run the campaign, and then now to move into this phase, what we call the transition phase, where there's so much to learn. And even though I've been there before, and Jason as well, he's never been the attorney general. Yeah, right. You know, and he's got several offices to run, as a matter of fact. Yeah, I know you all have a lot of responsibilities come, coming yeah. up, but I, I'm, I'm certainly glad you do. Here's my second question. If you never got into public service at all, Never got into politics. What do you think you'd want to be doing with your life? Jason, let's start with you on this one. Well, I'll tell you what I wanted to do in my life. When I was growing up, I was a diehard, obsessed Magic Johnson Showtime Lakers fan. (laughs) And I was convinced that one day I'd be the starting point guard for the Los Angeles Lakers. I had Magic Johnson posters, his jersey. And I quickly realized that good Lord did not bless me with much of a vertical leap. And um, are you working on the behind the back pass? Oh, no, no. Uh, I have different skills. That was not one of them. So I like to joke whenever I'm with Glenn, you know, Glenn is six, six. And uh, I could say you could look at both of us and tell we were both high school star, high school basketball players. I'm maybe five, 10, five, 11. So uh, that's what I always dreamed of being and um, quickly realized that uh, that was not going to be my past. So my dream would be a, um, a, a the starting point guard for the Los Angeles Lakers. But uh, obviously that didn't happen. <laughs> nice. What can I say? Well, you know, I'd always wanted to be an attorney. Uh, and um, somewhere along the way, I realized that the only thing I liked about being a lawyer was arguing. So <laughs> go figure. You see what I'm doing now. Um, and so although I studied hard and got accepted to law school, I just didn't get to go. I just thought I can't pick up the kids and go. But um, what I love doing, if, if the question is, what would you love to do and you didn't have to get paid to do it? Right. I love gardening. I love to, to create gardens, to put in the flowers, to get rid of the weeds and so people will pass by my home and say, oh, you've got a beautiful yard. And yes, that's because it's a stress reliever. Ah, right. You yeah. need one. And you need one in this line of work. No question. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So third and final question. And this goes to what motivates uh, you more. Right. And we set up two polls here. It's, it's either you're motivated by the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. And let me explain it for a second. So the thrill of victory are people who are just constant optimists, glass half full, always charging up the hill, you know, always a smile on their face, think that they can they can achieve the next thing. The agony of defeat people is not people who who enjoy defeat. They hate it so much that it, they it entirely motivates them. Right. They, they wake up every day just burning with the the urge that somebody might be working harder than they are and they could possibly beat them. So those are the two poles of this. Winston, where do you find yourself? I think I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, Nobody likes defeat, surely. And yeah, some people are motivated by defeat, but I don't seek defeat. So, you know, I, I just, I don't see that definition that way. And then of course, victory is exhilarating. Um, But then, 
you have to come down from it and you have to do something with the victory. So I would say I am just motivated by knowing that I can make a difference. That's where I am. I can make a difference. And if people don't see it and so I lost, well, then I guess I didn't deserve them and they didn't deserve me. (laughs) I like that. Jason, how about you? That is a deep question. I mean, I think for me, I've always had this people that place your, their trust in you and their faith in you, you want to make sure that that trust is rewarded and you don't let them down. Um, I mean, I remember one of my most vivid memories when I won my house delegate race uh, was my uncle, Angel Miares, who spent time, he got arrested at Bay of Pigs and, um, and uh, had some not pleasant experiences, but I remember him coming up to me and he just said, you know, tonight I feel like I just beat Castro. Mm. And that, that mm. whether that's the thrill of victory or that, I don't know, but I just know when. Um, that's why you do you, it. You carry, you carry it. Yeah, you carry that with you. And mm. I'm sure that that legacy and, um, but I'll tell you one thing, <laughs> it sure, sure as heck feels good to win. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. There's, it's been a long time since I felt as good as I did last Tuesday watching you two and your victory speeches and Glenn Youngkin and his. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you for doing what you're doing. We're all going to be watching very carefully. And if there's ever anything we can do for you, you please let us. Hey, you know, I expect to see Ruthless Podcast on the lawn of the state capitol January 15th. Maybe a live broadcast. I want to see you guys. My staff is so excited about this. So I want to see you guys. Okay. All right. Well, listen, you've given us something to work with here. All right. Now we have a new plan, Jason. I love this. There you go. There you go. You got to get involved. This is your government. It it is indeed. Thank you both. Thank you guys. We'll talk to you soon. God bless. Bye-bye. I mean, look, that's the Republican party. The future's bright. That's it. Right. They, I mean, what a perfect example of how not to listen to anything in the mainstream media. You get two people like that who just completely destroy the liberal narrative of what's happening in this country. And, and also, can I just yet again say how awesome that photo of her holding the AR yeah. is? Like, yes, that yeah. is that is the lieutenant governor for all of America. <laughs> that is awesome. So good. So good. Well, listen, fellas, I, I think uh, I think we've done it. Another banger of an episode, gentlemen. Uh, great interview, Holmes. We, we've we've gotten those requested as soon as they won, delivered for the Minions. So, until next time, Minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Wednesday. Stay ruthless.